We're going to conclude our study in the book of Galatians tonight, so if you'll open with me to that last chapter there. We'll begin by reading the 7th through the ninth verse verses. To begin our final thought tonight, but this will be our last lesson in this study. Ten weeks, not horrible. We've had longer ones. We'll be moving on next week. Let's read Galatians 6, and we'll read verses 7 through 9. Where Paul says there to the Galatians, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who, he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Let's bow our heads once again. Father, we praise you this evening, Lord, for the strength that you give, Lord, that we might not lose heart in those times when our flesh would demand that we do so. Lord, I thank you, Father, that we need not give in to the demands of this flesh that we carry with us day by day, Lord. I thank you for the new man, the new creation that we have with Christ in us, that we can walk in the Spirit, walk after the Spirit, walk led by the Spirit. And I pray, Lord, as we conclude this study tonight, that you would remind us, Lord, what Paul was reminding these Galatians, Lord, to know who you are, what you have for us, what you ask from us. Oh, Father, that we might bless you and honor you in all that we do. Help us to do so even tonight, Father, to bless you and to honor you and be blessed in it, Father, we pray. Bless this word to us tonight. Thank you for this time of fellowship. I ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, again, it seems I do kind of give a little summation, a re-summation of the entire book every, every lesson. But after explaining his authority in the Lord as an apostle to these ones in Galatia, and after expounding on his own personal history and how he got this revelation from the Lord, even, even expressing the authority that he had before those other disciples, those ones that he met with and presented his gospel to, even going so far as to present his authority in correcting his brother Peter. Uh, All of this is presented in those first five chapters. He presented that personal understanding that he had with all the circumstances there in Galatia. He was well aware of what was going on and he let them know this. He understood what the motivations were of those ones who well, who were bewitching by his words, bewitching these ones and these different respective assemblies. And he presented all of that to these ones. Uh, he addressed and condemned the foolishness that was going on there. He chastised them for it warned them once again not to entangle themselves up, warned those ones who perhaps were not entangled, well, not to be entangled uh, ongoing, and to deal with those ones who had been. Lots of things here. After all of this, after all of this, chapter 6 has Paul signing off here to these ones and making some final comments, some final presentations, some final, well, just some statements here that, well, I've kind of, I've kind of subtitled this lesson as common spiritual sense. Uh, not just common sense. I have said more than, more than my fair share of times that common sense is decidedly uncommon these days, it seems. Uh, it, just by definition, it's sense, common sense is sense that just the general, rational, normal-minded person would understand. 
and we see people acting less and less normal and rational-minded, it seems. And so, well, using that definition, common spiritual sense is that sense that we should have just by simple understanding of the rightly divided truth in the Word of God. Now, there are different parts of Scripture. Well, I don't agree with everyone that I highly admire and highly respect. I don't agree necessarily with their interpretation of certain pieces of Scripture, and likewise, they don't agree necessarily entirely with mine. But there are those times, and it, well, the Lord hasn't laid out a complete and open revelation of certain things, and so we do as good as we can as the Spirit leads and, and guides us, and those aren't separating by any means. Those aren't pieces of, of Scripture where you say, well, you feel different, I can't fellowship with you. In those ones where there are, well, there's no compromise that can be made, that it's presented in Scripture, it's presented in the Word, it's defined and redefined, and, and, and example after example is presented and confirmed to us. Those things are what I call spiritual common sense, I would understand. Now, they aren't necessarily common, and you look across the body of Christ and you'll see that those things aren't accepted as common sense, but I would say, particularly in this assembly and those ones who... Well, who I guess you could say we affiliate with. Um, there's a certain measure of common sense that we just understand. This is this, this is this, this is right. And we can confirm it in Scripture and present it in Scripture. And in our own experience, in our own life, it is what it is. It's common spiritual sense. And so, I think that it was in dealing with this common spiritual sense that Paul presented his exasperation. Much like he was exasperated with the Corinthians, if you recall our study there. There's a measure of exasperation there when he spoke to these ones and, and said such things as he did in review here partly. Verse 6 of that first chapter when he said, I marvel. I'm, I'm kind of stunned. Uh, we might say in our own vocabulary, I cannot believe that you... I'm a little bit staggered that you're already turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another. Now why would he say this? Why would he marvel? Why would he be shocked, as it were? Well, because he knew that they'd heard the truth. Like the Corinthians, he knew that they, to some measure, had believed the truth, at least expressed so, vocalized it, verbalized it in his presence, it seems. He knew that nothing that went against the truth that he presented them, he knew that those things wouldn't hold water. That the things that they were finding themselves wrapped up in well, he could, easily, he could easily point to what Jesus said, what the Old Testament said, what the Spirit had given to him and what he had presented to them as our apostle. He could easily point to that and say, this is obvious that this doesn't wash with what you're back underneath. It doesn't, it doesn't jibe with what, what the Lord has presented as, well, as the revelation of this age. Uh, he, he told them, recognized that they had chosen something beggarly and weak to put themselves back under. And that would be just a tad bit annoying, I would imagine, uh, in, to him naturally speaking, but also just troubling spiritually. And so you see him speaking the way that he does there. Uh, you know, I take a, you know, I use it as an example all the time because it's, a, oh, as silly as it sounds, it's a pretty fundamental part of my life is this whole coffee thing, right? And I spend an inordinate amount of time well, preparing my coffee in the morning, it takes me longer than it would take probably most anybody else. I could stick a K-cup into a Keurig real easy. I could pre-grind the beans the night before and stick them in a filter and just wait and set a timer and let it start off. I wouldn't dream of doing that because it just seems to me I've had better. I've tasted better. 
I know what I have, I know what I like, and I know the process that I use in order to get myself and the resources contributed to it to get myself this final product. And this is what I like. And I mean no offense to anybody. I don't like your coffee, a lot, a lot of yours. It's just, it is what it is. Dad offers me every time I go to his place. Jaden looks shocked back there that I would say that. I hope you know what I mean when I say, what I say when I say that. You know, I have a, you know, life's too short to drink bad coffee. Dad offers me a little Keurig. You want some blue? Because it just has a blue top. I love my dad. Anyone who knows me knows how I feel about my dad. I don't drink his coffee. I don't. Because... I'm willing to go through the process because I know this is the product that I want. This is the product that I've sampled. This is the product that has become a part of my day-to-day life to a certain measure, naturally speaking. I don't want to go back to the weak and beggarly blue that Dad tries to give me. I don't. It just is what it is. You know, it, it is, it's funny. But man, that's how I feel about the Lord. I have no interest. No interest in my new creation, and neither do you, even if you struggle. You have no interest. Your new man has no interest in going back to those weak and beggarly elements. And it is common sense to him. Why would I drink spiritual blue when I have something, something that is, well, better, better, richer, pure, good. The fundamental basic truths of the word of God. This is good coffee. That is not the fundamental basic truths of the word of God. This is what's good. And nothing else is in comparison. If it's different than this, it's not good. Those things aren't up for opinion. Those things we've been considering eternal life. That's not subject to opinion. It's not subject to opinion whether or not you believe the Lord Jesus as your Savior and you are His forever. That's not subject to opinion. Whether or not the infilling of the Holy Spirit is something that is a separate work for God's people. That he wants for each and every one of his believers. It's not subject to opinion. It's presented in scripture. The concept of that bridal calling, bridal company, the out-resurrection from among, well, among those resurrected in him. It's not something subject to opinion. It should be common sense. Common spiritual sense. Once you've identified it, recognized it. Whether it's been taught to you, whether you found it for yourself and the Lord ministered it to you. And once he's confirmed it to you, it's common spiritual sense. And that's what Paul's telling to these ones here. Uh, You have taken this that should be common spiritual sense. And it has become, well, not so. In one way or the other. In one way or the other, you've chosen something else. Something different. Uh, Turning back to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 of that passage. Where he says, do not be deceived. That means misled or brought astray. It's very frank. You know, it's very plain what he's saying there. That those ones who have been mixed up in this are being deceived. That to believe that it's subject to interpretation. And that, well, that his interpretation was wrong. Because he said, the law is not for us. It's not for us to be under this. Jesus has fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled the law for righteousness to all who have believed. Paul taught that to them. And they say, well, it's subject to opinion. You know, again, going back to it, dad likes blue. He's fine with that. He's satisfied with that. And that's fine on a natural level. Spiritually speaking, it isn't. Uh, But different ones will, will say, I don't care for that doctrine, perhaps. Yeah, you know, I think I'll pass on holding this standard. That really isn't for us. You know, I'll take it away from coffee. 
Someone says, I'm a chocolate connoisseur. I'm a chocolate connoisseur, man. I know good chocolate. I can taste the depth that's there. I can taste the different tasting notes there. And I mean, I like good quality chocolate. Okay, well, here's this Belgian chocolate that all the finest chocolatiers have grown the right beans, roasted the right beans, ground it down, made it, put in organic grass-fed cream, mixed it all together. There's a nice, subtle, I don't know what you, what you put in there. But I don't know chocolate. I know coffee. But here's this perfect, I mean, glossy, beautiful, strong little, there it is. Oh, uh, you know what? I, I actually prefer a Tootsie Roll. That's, that's the best chocolate that there is. Tootsie Roll's not even chocolate. Uh, what did he tell them? He says, you're going after a doctrine... Another gospel that isn't. You're choosing something else. You're being deceived or you're deceiving yourself. Uh, perhaps a little bit of both. Do not be deceived. Do not be misled. Brought astray. God is not mocked. What he's saying here is don't be mistaken. Understand this. Don't be misled. God will not be made an idiot of. And when he presents you something, you say, no, no, no. I prefer the good stuff. I prefer the Tootsie Roll. You're the one that looks like an idiot. Can I say it that way? Can I be that frank about it? I'm a, I'm a fantastic chocolatier. I mean, I'm, I, I am a, a connoisseur of this. And I, the Tootsie Roll is the best. There's nothing there. It's not quality. Are you going to think I'm a fool because I choose Andre's over the Tootsie Roll? No, I'm going to feel bad for you because the Tootsie Roll is it's garbage. Plenty of people, plenty of people mock the things of God. Plenty of people choose something else uh, over the Lord's word. Uh, when, when Paul says God is not mocked, it doesn't mean that there aren't people saying God is fill in the blank, calling him foolish, calling it stupid, calling faith ignorant. I, I've heard the gamut of those things, and so have you. Different people approaching believers in an invisible God as being sometimes less than human, certainly less than rational or, or intellectual or anything of those sorts. Certainly they mock him that way. But God's not the idiot. God's not the ignorant one. God is not the fool. He's presented something perfect and something good. And other people say, if they take something even somewhat imitating what he's presenting, well, that's the foolish, bewitched, misled thing. I used to run drunk people all the time in the old job. People drunk on... Well, pick your substance. Plenty of them out there. I mean, people used to say just the nastiest things, man. They find anything. You remember, I used to have a big bushy black mustache. You know, I kind of look stupid sometimes. You know, when I didn't trim it up. Man, they would mock that mustache. They would mock my wife. They would tell me the foulest things about my kids, about everything and anything. They would come at me with just simply because they were drug, drugged out of their mind or drunk, whatever the case may be. They told me I was doing everything wrong, everything wrong with me, how, how foolish I was and all of those things. And do you suppose I felt chagrined when that drunk person told me that? Do you suppose I felt embarrassed in front of my coworkers? Oh, man, he really got me on that one. I really am foolish. I really, I really am ugly. This, this, my mustache looks bad, you know, because this drunk guy wallowing in his own vomit is telling me how foolish I look, how stupid I look. Or did I rest on my own laurels, I guess, haughtily speaking? Did I rest on my own laurels and think, the guy's drunk. He doesn't know anything. He, doesn't, he can't even tie his own shoe right now, much less tell me what's wrong with me. That's putting it on a very, kind of a silly level, but do you suppose God ever feels like an idiot because someone chooses the spiritual Tootsie Roll over the chocolate that he's offering them? 
I don't believe so. God is not mocked. Don't you be deceived. Don't be misled. You can think whatever that you want to. God's not mocked. The ignorance of others does not change the truth of things. That guy can tell me whatever he wants to in his drunken state. It doesn't mean that things are so. The ignorance of people to accept the things of God, even when they have been taught so, even when it should be spiritual common sense. It's not, a, it's not mocking the Lord. The Lord isn't the one who, well, who is made to look foolish. Ultimately, it comes down to us, unfortunately. Common sense. Common spiritual sense applied no value to what these ones were doing and putting themselves back underneath that yoke of bondage. Um, That being said, he warned them, don't be deceived. We understand that spiritual deceivers are going to come in. They're going to be defiant. They're going to be subtle. They're going to be, at times, very, very quiet about their manipulation. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. They'll come in and they'll mislead. Even those ones who are cautious, even those ones who, who are taking steps and trying to be intentional somewhat with their walk of faith. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, Peter spoke along those same lines of deceit. He said, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Past, present, future, uh, false doctrine, false teaching, false prophecy, false, false, false things of of teaching and instruction. All kinds of deceit will take place and always will until the Lord puts things right. Uh, False teachers among you, there will be, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. These ones are going to be quite impactful to a certain measure. Uh, with their false teaching, and they have been throughout history. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Now, the Galatians were deceived by some such as this, those ones that came in and bewitched them and led them astray, causing Paul to marvel. I can't believe, man, they were pretty convincing, so convincing that you stepped off of what I presented you as the truth and what you had seen as the truth and what the Spirit confirmed to you as the truth. You stepped off of this. This seems like spiritual common sense. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. And yet, and yet here you are. Uh, they found themselves, found themselves deceived. He told them, don't be. Uh, he went on to talk about those ones. They might have been misled believers who were misleading them to take them along the wrong way. They could have been ones that were completely, completely unwilling to yield to Christ. And we're leading them back to Moses. Whatever the case may be, he speaks of them in verse 12, Galatians 6. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh. He's speaking to their motivations here, right? To look a certain way. To appear a certain way. To appear spiritual. To appear holy. To appear affirmed. Affirmed in their misguided ways. These would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Have you found it to be so? Whether it's in the things of, well, spiritual matters, or people, well, outside of church, outside of Christendom. People want allies, don't they? People want to be affirmed in what they're doing, typically. Now, you'll see these different ones, and you see, you know, in high school, you know, we told the kids, you know, uh, you see all these kids trying to be different, but you notice how similar they are in their difference. You remember the goth kids? I hate to just pick on people, but big, thick soles, big 
black boots because they wanted to push against the establishment and wanted to not follow the cultural norms. So they put on the eye black, you know, and, and spike up their hair and do this and that. No one did that in Kingsville because we didn't have enough people to, to really do that. But that being said, you know, bigger high schools, they do that kind of thing. And you notice pretty soon there's a big group of goth people, <laughs> you know, and they're all bucking the system all together. And their group is large. People want allies. Very few people, by and large, very few people want to walk alone want to stand by themselves. I'm going to tell you something, and I know this from personal experience, and maybe you do too. When you're walking outside of the will of God and you understand the will of God, and you understand what God has for you, and you do have a certain measure of spiritual common sense, man, you feel alone when you are not in full fellowship with Him. I have. I'm, I'm confident a number of you have too. You feel awfully alone. And that drives you to wanting well, as horrible as it sounds, to lead other people down the same crummy path that you're going so that you don't feel so stinking alone, right? It is human nature. And so these ones want to make a good showing in the flesh. They would compel you. They would compel you to do as they're doing, to put, them, put yourselves under the same yoke that they are, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. They may want strength in their numbers. They may want affirmation as any number of different people who walk outside of the lines of faith. They might want affirmation. They might want strength. And there might be tons of them. Oftentimes, the loudest voices are the wrongest voices, right? Even so, it doesn't change the truth. They're doling out Tootsie Rolls, man. That's what they're doing. And, well, the Lord's offering something better than chocolate. Something much, much better. It doesn't... Change the truth just to have numbers on your side to affirm your falsehood. For not even these, it goes on in verse 13. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. They weren't even capable in and of themselves to satisfy. We've said it a number of times. They weren't even capable. These ones said, you need to do this. Well, technically, just off the record, do you? Well, I can't. (laughs) Can't do it. None of them would say that. But it was impossible for them. Not even those who are circumcised, not even those ones under that yoke, not yet having been freed by the Lord Jesus, perhaps, or certainly not walking that freedom, not even they could keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh so that they can feel that affirmation. Deceivers were abundant in Galatia, it seems, and they are today. We would do well to do what Paul encouraged them to do. Identify them, note them. I'm not going to say don't give them the time of day. But you don't give them an inch spiritually. You recognize what it is that they're doling. Recognize what it is that they're sharing. What what it is that they're offering. What it is that they're encouraging. And when you realize that it's nothing more than a spiritual tootsie roll, you say, thank you, but no thank you. And that's that. Spiritual common sense, these things. Now, goes on to say evil men. Well, not it doesn't go on there. I'm going to go on to say in 2 Timothy 3.13 that evil men and imposters will grow worse. And worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so it is that we see it today. A number of different ones. All, all manner of ilk, you could say, of deceivers. Some that claim the name of Jesus, some don't want anything to do with Jesus. And they still come in and they, well, try to get their hands on your heart, try to get their hands on your spiritual walk and guide you in the direction that feels good to them. Now, unfortunately, you don't, we don't need anyone outside to deceive us we're very capable of doing it ourselves 
We can deceive ourselves. I mean, I think in part that's what Paul's telling Timothy when he says, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Oftentimes, we don't need help. Sometimes we are deceiving ourselves when we look at things in the manner that we choose to. Paul knew the tendencies. Romans 7. Paul knew the tendencies of mankind. Jesus knew the hearts of all men. I'm not going to say that Paul went so far as to know the hearts of all men, but he had a good, solid understanding of the audience that he was preaching to in each one of these letters and in the revelation that the Lord gave to him. Uh, He knew the tendencies of mankind. And I'll be honest with you, I'm going to relate with Paul in this in that, you know, oftentimes I speak about myself up here because there's nothing I'm more familiar with than me. And so I suppose if I have this weakness, this frailty and all this, and I'm confirmed in this, I'm going to put it out there and let you know. Because if I have it, there's chances that any number of people might have it. Paul spoke very frankly about himself in Romans chapter 7, verse 21, where he says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. I have this new creation. I have him, and, and there is joy in me just in that fellowship with the Lord. He recognized that, identified that, leaned into it most of the time. But I see another law in my members, Paul goes on, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. This is still here, he said. I'm the chief of sinners. Someone I love very dearly once told, us, told me, you're no longer a sinner, you're a child of God. Paul said, I am, present tense, chief of sin. I am, present tense. Sin is still there. Now, I am a sinner, saved by grace, but I don't deny what flesh is in me. That is that. When, I am, when I'm in a glorified body standing before the Lord Jesus, then I'll say I'm no longer a sinner. Because sin will no longer be present and the enemy will no longer be present and all of those things will be removed. And I will see him as he is and I will know him as he is and as he knows me. And there will be a difference in that time when this flesh is removed. But as it stands right now, I understand who I am. And I want to take my hat off to Paul for being so plain spoken about it. O wretched man that I am, he says in verse 24. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. It's going to happen. But he recognized that there's a weak side to everyone, including himself. Often we need very little help from the outside to allow that weak side to deceive us. It's interesting, uh, and it's kind of a mind study, and it can kind kind of get your mind all in a twist if you spend too much time on it. But I find it interesting, and I've thought about it much as I've studied this out, how our minds lean into the flesh much more readily, much more continually, and much more successfully than any outside influence. My mind can take me places if I allow it to. My mind knows exactly what I like. My mind knows exactly what my weaknesses are. My mind knows exactly how I speak, how I think. And my mind, as foolish as it sounds, because I'm not a split personality, but there are two separate natures, my flesh can tell me any kind of justification I want to, to reconcile doing this, 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 and this, that's wrong in the Lord. And it knows just exactly how to, well, how to justify those things, how to okay those things, how to reason those things. I have a pretty solid mind when it comes to rationalizing. And if I allow my flesh to do that, it'll do it. And it will do it very, very successfully. And you don't always need help from the outside. We know those things. That's, 
We know precisely how to deceive ourselves. Isn't that interesting? Now, there, there's all kinds of, there are all kinds of studies and, you know, psychoanalyzing and, and, and all of these mind studies where it speaks about, well, you know, we really can deceive ourselves and tell ourselves the same lie continually to where it changes our reality. And we have a certain measure of belief in this mind to where we really believe certain things. And I've heard people say, this is my reality. And this is... Now, I'm just talking reality is what reality is. Okay, when it comes right down to it, when it comes right down to it, we understand who the Lord is, what the Lord has for us. We can go to Scripture and we can recognize so often He makes it so clear to us. And we can get into all those self-deceiving things and, and you know, talking about shifting our own concept of reality. If we tell ourselves exactly what we want to hear and we don't tell ourselves exactly what we need to hear, we're deceiving ourselves. And that's what we're capable of doing. We need to tell ourselves what we need to hear. And we need to hear the Word of God. We need to hear what He wants for us. We don't need to tell ourselves what we want to hear. That's why Galatians is so pertinent to us. I've heard a number of comments from different ones. You know, I'm not saying anything wrong here, but why are we in Galatians? No one's dealing with the law. No one's under the law. You know? Uh, you know, are we... What's, what's this all about? Is there something... There's something to this. I taught a lesson on Dagon one time. Someone approached me. Why are we dealing with Dagon? Is someone is someone uh, involved in idolatry? No, but there. Are, I don't think anyone would even know who Dagon is right now if you weren't in the Bible, probably. But there are certain applications, right? Certain things that. Well, if they're dealing with this, I might not be dealing with this specific thing. But does it not have a direct correlation to all of this? And that's what we're looking at here. We, you probably couldn't care less about satisfying or attempting to satisfy the law of Moses. But can you easily be wrapped up in the law of sin? That law of sin that wars in these members just as it did with Paul? Absolutely you can. You can be sure your flesh, flesh is asking you to deceive yourself and yoke yourself up and entangle yourself regularly, consistently. Dare I say almost always that flesh is right back there. So, with the Galatians here, Paul gives us the choice of what to sow and how to deal with that. Uh, well, that constant effort at deceiving ourselves. He goes on to say, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap in the second half of verse 7. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. This is a concept that's pretty easily understood by those who are even semi-studied in the things of God. People use this kind of phrasing all the time. Ah, you reap what you sow, you get the underlying concept. You do bad things, you're going to get bad things in return. That's just karma. People toss that word around all the time. I don't believe in karma, but I do believe in the word of God. And he says, what you sow, you're going to reap. You invest in this, you're going to get some returns on that. And it might not be something that you're looking for. Tom Walden out in Denver. Love the man. Dear, dear man. He's got a great sense of humor. And some, I used to be so scared to death of him, or my kids were scared to death of him. I was somewhat when I was a kid because he looks like Ebenezer Scrooge and he always looks like he's upset about things. And he's not upset about anything. The man loves the Lord. And he loves, he loves teaching kids about the Lord. And every year in Sunday school, he'd have that... I think they call it Indian corn. I don't know if that's PC anymore, but it's that dried out, multicolored, dried corn. And he says, just crush it up, 
He says, throw it out in your yard. He says, Greggy, it is remarkable how it takes nothing more. Nothing more than just to toss it out in my yard. And every year, stalks would come up. Every year, I wouldn't have to do anything. He says, and that is so, so much more difficult than establishing something eternal. Simply believe. Only believe. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Something that simple. But if you look at the illustration, just as simple as this. And then it just comes up. Now, what happens after those stalks come up? Or even before those stalks come up? You've taken the act and it's cast out. What happens when you put a little bit of effort into it? Jaden, if you didn't know, Jaden went out and pulled like two dozen tomatoes growing in the dead trees over here. No one planted those. And you didn't plant those tomatoes, did you? No one planted those tomatoes. I don't know where they came from. I hope they're tomatoes. Uh, You know, they sure look like it, but, you know, it could be some big old poisonous yellow berry. But there they are growing up in the trees. We didn't even plant those things. What if we had fertilized them? If we had cut around, you know, do whatever Ian does to grow his tomatoes. Invested in that. Put a little effort into that. Saints, if we put a little effort into our life, weed the fields, so to speak, remove the entanglements, don't lean into feeding the weeds or just letting them go, whatever's easiest for us. We water the crops, water what's being sown in there, and invest into the growth of what we've sown. You suppose that return is going to exponentiate? Of course it is, and that's that's what Paul was trying to tell us. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Cast it out there, and then just simply go with me. We'll both get in this yoke. Both of us together. And when Jesus is in it, that burden is light. Certainly there are afflictions. Paul spoke to those in 2 Corinthians 4.17. We read it all the time. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And so it is, spiritually speaking. Spiritual common sense. You will reap what you sow. We've sown into, cast it out. Will we not put forth the effort to sit and understand, wait, that doesn't, that doesn't go with, well, the gardening manual that the Lord gave to us. That's not a method that is, well, contributes to the growth that the Lord wants for us. So Paul goes on, Back in our text, and I need to wrap this up. In verse 9, Galatians chapter 6, he gives us that, along with the Galatians, well, an alternative to being deceived, an alternative to being entangled and taking on the wrong yoke. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Sow to the Spirit, know what the Word is telling us, and hold fast to it. Anything that would draw us away from what we know to be the truth. What we know to be common sense, spiritually speaking. You know what, I don't, I'm not going to say I don't fault the Galatians, but you do recognize that the Galatians didn't have all of the New Testament that we do. They still had Paul there who was given this revelation, you know, barely a decade after he'd, well, after, after he'd been convicting, persecuting All the Christians didn't have everything laid out for them, didn't have correlations made between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And yet it should have been spiritual common sense to them. We have 2,000 years, man. 2,000 years of studying ourselves. 
of others studying and present it, presenting it rightly divided to us for generations, record of generations of people's study. Just standing the test of time, this should all be, well, not all of it perhaps, but the things that we know to be so should be spiritual common sense to us. Every bit as much as it should have been to the Galatians. You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, he told Timothy. Knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And he told Titus something similar in Titus 1.9. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. He's speaking about an overseer in the church. But this speaks to what we are called to do and be for ourselves. We should be holding fast the faithful word, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And that includes when our own minds and our own flesh would contradict. We can have the wisdom because we have that new creation. We have the Holy Spirit to lead us. Sometimes we need to exhort and convict ourselves. You know better than this. It's common sense spiritually. And not take the time, make the effort to rationalize justify, explain away why we're choosing to be bewitched, turned away, etc., so on and so forth as these Galatians were. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That means he's the end of the law of Moses. That means he's the end of the law of sin and death. He's the end of the law of sin that wars in my members that Paul was speaking about in Romans. He's the end of all law found outside of his work. God forbid that I should boast, Paul says in Galatians 6 verse 14, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I should not invest in my, no glorying in my flesh, no glorying in anything other than the cross in the Lord's work for me, by whom the world was, has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, nor anything else, anything else outside of his will avails anything. Only a new creation. Only the work that he has done in our hearts. Only the work that he has bought and paid for by the cross. Uh, That's what we've been taught, just as these Galatians were. That's what we've been taught. And of his fullness we have all received. And grace for grace, John says in John 1.16. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He wanted to stick with them. He wanted it to be common sense. He wanted them to return back to common sense and make common spiritual sense common once again. That's what he's calling for us to do. Saints, it's decidedly uncommon, spiritual common sense, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, it says in verse 18 as he wraps things up. As many as walk according to this rule, that only the new creation avails anything, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He wants us to loosen ourselves from the yoke of the law, whether it's the law of Moses or of sin or of entanglements or of self-deception, or of bondage and entanglements, or weights of any, of any other things. God's work, His dealings with us through Christ, those are the answers to any entanglement we might find ourselves in. They're the answers to every deception. The Word of God is presented to us. 
to answer any deception from the outside or from within as we walk in the Spirit. And I think that that's awesome. He makes so much of it plainly understood to us. We don't need to be foolish. We don't need to be bewitched. We don't need to be self-deceiving. We don't need to try to justify those things. We simply need to apply the Word of God to our lives as we walk in the Spirit and make it spiritual common sense. What is spiritual common sense? And live in that. And that's all that I have for you this evening. And that's all that we have in this study. I trust that it will be a blessing to you as you consider it in the days to come.